Well, I'm for continuing to worship. This has been really, really good this morning. Um, Let's pray. We need you, Father. Lord, today I'm sharing words, I'm sharing facts. Lord, give us the wisdom and the revelation to open our eyes that these things might enter our hearts, change our thinking, change the way we live, move into deeper places with you. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I've been thinking just kind of over uh, where we've been and where we've come from. And, you know, we've moved from being a house church to a Zoom church to now a rented space for church. Uh, we've seen a lot of transitions over the years. Um, and I think each of us have come through these times um, with varying thoughts conclusions and varying hopes for the future um, you know the, these descriptions about where we meet often in conversation with other people outside of our church when you're talking with them it always gets down to that question so where do you meet and it's easy to like oh they're the church that meets at so and so and that's your identification and I just really felt maybe timely to, to remind us of who we are rather than just where we meet since we've been traveling around so much over the last five or six or 20 or so years. So um, today I want to talk about um, just one of the many reasons for our redemption. Um, redemption has a goal and that goal is the revelation of the nature of God's love through Jesus Christ. Um, today's message on paper is about 50% longer than mine usually are. So <laughs> I am going to probably try to read through a lot of it to speed it along. Um, but I just really trust that um, you'll grasp that thing just like Penny did with the songs this morning. You'll grasp that thing that God's speaking to you. And um, if you need to check out at that point, hang on to that. Um, and if you need to just jot it down, because a lot of what I, I want to share, you're going to have to take it home with you. Um, I've kind of spent three weeks muddling through this chapter that we're going to look at. And... Um, one of the prayers that Paul prays, prays in um, Ephesians chapter 3 is that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So you can't just think about it. To know what surpasses knowledge. To know what passes knowledge, that we may be filled to 
all the fullness of God. So I could say uh, we're having a four-point message this morning, but it's actually just one point because it really is all about God, His heart, His Son, and His Spirit. Um, so I want to look in the book of Ephesians. So uh, I appreciate it if you all would turn to that on your phones or you, if you do it the old-fashioned way and like to hold the paper, feel it, that book of yours in your hands. Go ahead and turn to that. I'm going to give a little bit of a, a background um, before we start. Um, this is largely considered... Paul's last open letter to the church. Okay? The only ones chronologically that seem to have followed this were personal letters to Timothy and Titus. And so, um, it's kind of in a sense his final instructions, um, his thoughts, his desires um, to leave with this particular church. Things kind of like to drive home for the last time. Um, it's his counsel, his hope, and the main thing we're going to be looking at is his prayer in this first chapter. It's kind of like Moses did with the Israelites in Deuteronomy and Jesus did with his disciples in the Gospel of John. This particular church, the church of Ephesus, was considered the, the, the best well-taught church in the world at that time. Paul spent three years there teaching these people Sunday after Sunday. And at the same time, he was also speaking in the marketplaces as well. After that, he even sent Timothy back there for a season to, to talk with him as well. So what about this particular city? Ephesus was the third largest city in the world at that time, behind Rome and Alexandria. About 250,000 people, according to the things I've read, lived there. A little bit smaller than Raleigh. It was a major trade route. It was the gateway for trade uh, throughout Asia. Um, it was a multi-ethnic, kind of like Raleigh. Um, and it was a port city, not like Raleigh. But um, it was the center of pagan worship, kind of like Raleigh. <laughs> and the temple there was for uh, the Greek goddess um, Artemis. And the, the Romans called that same god Diana. And it, it was a tourist destination because of that. So people from all over Asia would come to... Um, to worship the goddess of Artemis here at this city, uh, buy all the little trinkets. They had trinkets just like any place you go for tourism. But it's also the, the, the home of a large community of Jews, but also mainly pagans, which was where Paul was trying to, to reach out to in his time. The culture there, um, see if you can identify with any of the culture there as I read this, um, this goddess was the goddess of the moon, protector of nature and animals, goddess of fertility. And so people from all over came here. 
you know, this was kind of called the Artemis cult. This was the, the center and one of the places they would come. And guess what? Christian was not, Christianity was not widely accepted. It wasn't politically correct here. Um, there was religious pluralism there. It was entrenched and embraced. It's kind of sounding more familiar all the well, isn't it? Um, moral beliefs were diverse and considerable moral depravity was accepted there. Lots of uh, temptation towards individualism, feminism, and heretical ideas brought about by the culture. Um, cultural norms of tolerance and acceptance. The audience, mainly pagans, who became believers and recent Jewish converts. So that's kind of the backdrop for this last letter of Paul that he writes to these people. So Paul, when he writes this, he's under house arrest in, in Rome. Um, but he's passing on what was going to be probably his last thoughts to his most prized student, the church there. Um, there were any more lessons that he could teach. And now is the time for the church to reflect on the overarching purpose of his messages becoming the church of Jesus Christ to the glory of God so the letter is kind of like um, Paul walking with this church through through the, the last things he wanted to review Ephesians 1 through 3 are about God's plan for the church prayers for his believers salvation for Jews and Gentiles alike and you move on into chapters 4 through 6. It's, he's telling the members of the church what are the good things that they need to be doing on behalf of um, increasing the unity of the church for themselves and their relationship with other people. And then at the very end, he just reminds them, now is the time to put on the armor of God. And so... That is kind of a real overview of the book itself, but we're just going to look at chapter 1 today. Uh, really, only on the last sentence of that chapter. So, let's begin by reading the entire first chapter of Ephesians, if you would follow along with me. Uh, I'm going to be reading out of the New American Standard, but um, you can follow along and hopefully it won't be too confusing for you. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, 
which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things upon the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart being enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. So Paul begins, um, I'm going to just kind of work through the first 14 verses because I really want to get to verse 15 to the end of the chapter. But um, he reminds his readers that his apostleship is by the will of God because, as you remember, his will was to eliminate every Christian and the heresy that was infecting Judaism. That was his will, that's where he was going. You know, he was committed to rid Israel of the very people that God was using and called into this newly revealed kingdom of God. Um, 
And then he gives this greeting that is very familiar from him, grace and peace, reminding everybody that it's, it's from God, not from him. It's only God that can give this kind of grace, and it's only God who can um, provide this shalom or peace that he has promised his people. So that's the opening. And then verses 3 through 14, I don't know about in your Bible, but mine says the blessings of redemption is the heading here. And so there are a couple things. Um, uh, I went fishing or I went to pretend to fish because we didn't really catch anything this week. But my brother, my brother calls me up the day before I'm supposed to go and says, hey, could you put some quiet times together for these three mornings for us? Um, uh, so we'll have something we can read in the morning and then talk about in the evenings. And I'm like, I've already got a list of eight things I want to get accomplished this day before we leave. And so... I, Wait, are you telling us you've got a brother that's like Preston? I've got two of them. <laughs> and so... Um, I decided, well, I'll, I'll do it out of Ephesians. I've been thinking about it for three weeks. I should be able to come up with some quiet times. So I find these pictures. You know, you all have a little picture in there. And then I wrote these four or five questions about three different sections of it for us to, to meditate and discuss about this thing. And one of the questions in this particular section of 3 through 14 was, who does Paul make large in this section? Who does Paul make large in this section? Well, I'll go ahead and tell you because um, you guys don't have time to count all the pronouns. And that's a child, that was one of the other questions. Substitute the proper name for where all the pronouns are. I even had to call Greg on this, and then Greg checked with Sinclair Ferguson to make sure we were on the same page about this one. I have another one that needs to, I need to call you about. But the pronouns and God's proper name are used 17 times in these verses. And the pronoun and Jesus Christ's name are used 13. So I say it's a team effort. That, that he was raising up the Godhead. Because there are two places where the Holy Spirit's mentioned. One is overtly. The other is kind of subtle. You've got to kind of really read it into because in one of the verses it says that it was by the counsel of his will. And the counsel is the Godhead. So uh, even the Holy Spirit is included there in these particular verses. Um, so the question is, I thought, okay, what are the blessings that are afforded in Christ that are mentioned here? Well, you may come up with more, but I wrote down nine. And um, you guys that speak on Sunday, these are nine messages that you, you could each take one of these and speak. So the first one, the first blessing is that we're chosen before the foundation of the world. That's a lot to take in in and of itself. We're chosen to be holy and blameless before Him. We're chosen and adopted as sons and daughters to be children of God. We are forgiven of our sins. 
I love this this word. He lavished the riches of his grace upon us. That's even more than a grandparent can do. Lavish. That that is a lot of freedom there. He made known to us the mystery of his will. The mystery one mystery is what he made known to Paul, but he also made the mystery that you would choose me. You would choose me to be a child of God. Another blessing is that we have obtained an inheritance. Another blessing is it's just not out there somewhere. He gave us a seal of promise in, in giving us the Holy Spirit as a pledge of that promise. And the last one is that the blessing is that all these things that he's given is to the praise of God's glory. So they're blessings to us, but it's also to the praise of God's glory. You know, each of these things, you got to take that home and meditate on the one that you really jumps out to you. Um, and, and we've got to learn to think about them all to where they come and become not a fact, but they become a thing that takes root in our heart so that we live with that understanding. We live with that understanding about that. So, now we get to today's message. Verses 15 through 23. This is Paul's prayer. Now, remember, this man has spent three years. This man has has steeped in Judaism, and he has got to understand how to speak the principles and truths of this new revelation of Jesus Christ and what God's doing in a, a totally different language than, than the Jews understand. Um, you know, which is what we're challenged with today. You can't go out there and use a bunch of Christian terms with, unless you're going to be prepared to explain the definition of every third word you say. We've got to learn how to communicate the truths of, of, of God to a pagan world. And that's the place he was in. So he spent three years um, teaching and watching this particular church grow. It's the only letter to a church that doesn't have some correction or dealing with some disciplinary problem of, of, of the church. Um, and so this prayer is, in Paul's humble opinion, are things he, they still lacked after sitting under his tutelage. And I thought, okay, well, Paul's a pretty good teacher, I would think. Um, three years with Paul, you'd think, well, probably got it, you know. And they, they did. They had the doctrine. They had the facts and the understanding. But Paul was like, he was, he, he was praying a prayer that would move that from their head to their heart. Um, and because, you know, even in the, the Jewish Shema, the first thing is to love the Lord your God with what? All your head? It's all your heart. That's the very first thing. That's the thing God wants most from all of us. So he begins this, this passage with for this reason. So 
So I had to stop there. It's like, okay, what, what reason are you talking about? Um, a lot of commentators say it's just verses, the, the thoughts that are there in verses 13 and 14. But most of them say, no, it's all of the above because verses 3 through 14 is one sentence in the Greek. Would you like to diagram that for homework? <laughs> One sentence. And so when I told you that we were going to only really look at the last sentence in this thing, verses 15 through 23 is one sentence. So um, so what did he pray? What, what did he pray for them? And, you know, as we read it, is this something that he... If he walked in here and stayed with us three or four weeks, he'd pray for us? Is it something we ought to be praying for one another and for the church at large? And so um, a lot of these people that he was teaching had transferred their faith from the great Artemis to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a big step for them, you know, um, Spurgeon says this about this. He says, you have eyes. God's grace has given them to you, but they are capable of additional power and force. And there is the telescope of faith, which you are allowed to use, which will enable you to see much more than you have ever seen yet. I mean, for us that have walked with God, Spurgeon walked here and said that. I'm like, really? I've just begun. So, what are the specifics of this prayer? There were four things, really. He prays for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the true knowledge of God. He prays for them to know what is the hope of his calling. Who's calling? God's calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance, God's inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? Those are the four things. After all that teaching, after all that time spending with him, after sending Timothy back to reinforce that teaching, these are the things he prays for the best taught church in the land at that time. So I'm thinking to myself, maybe, because I can read those things. I think, oh, I got that. I understand that. But has it really changed me? Have I got it so much inside here that it's totally changing how I walk? The faith that I walk in with God? So I want to look at those four things very briefly. Uh, the first one is a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the true knowledge of God. The first is a, an aside about wisdom. Wisdom is different from knowledge. Um, knowledge is the grasping of facts. But grasping facts is not enough. And obviously, Paul realized that to pray this prayer. These people, they, they understood the gospel. But there was more. And that's what he wanted for those people. 
That's what God wants for us, even today. Um, wisdom's, wisdom knows how to use facts. The point is, it is not enough to know facts about God. A person must know God personally. He must know how to experience the facts about God. He must use facts to develop a personal relationship with God. That is a growing relationship. A relationship that's intimate, that grows deeper and deeper. Not just facts. A factual relationship is a static relationship. This, this, and this. This is God. This, this, and this. It's detached. And Paul realizes because of this last thing he says in the last chapter, you're going to need to put on the armor of God at some point. So there's much back and forth in the commentaries about the spirit, a spirit. Um, who, who has ESV? I think it says Holy Spirit. In the, Holy Spirit in ESV. Um, but even the ones that say a spirit um, realize and, and agree that it's the Holy Spirit that's working. And some tend to say a spirit is an attitude of wisdom and revelation. But it, it all goes back to um, saying yes to, to the working of the spirit in bringing those things to us. So as a result of this personal and intimate relationship that one's eyes are enlightened. The Greek says being enlightened. It doesn't say so that. It's not like this. You need this so that your eyes are enlightening. It's saying because they are enlightening, he has these three other things that he prays for them. And one of them is the hope of his calling. Um, if you will take the time to go through, it's not a challenge, it's just an exercise. If you will take the time to go through this first chapter and do, and do the thing with the, with the pronouns, uh, it's, it's really very helpful. I actually cha changed them to red and green and sent them to Jan and Sean this morning because I thought it's very unfair for somebody <laughs> that's English is their second language because I was having problems. Hey, is this... Because he kind of switches in mid-sentence sometime. So y'all enjoy doing that this week sometime. I think, you'll, I think you'll enjoy it. And you'll have a question about a couple of them for sure. As do the commentators who argue back and forth between whether it's God or Jesus. Um, but anyway, so we have two things here. We have a hope and we have a calling. And, and I was thinking to myself, well, what kind of hope... What kind of hope is it that he wants, that he's praying that these people understand? Um, and so I've got a couple of scriptures I'm going to read here and just leave it at that. But God made a promise to Abraham and um, it says in Hebrews this, it says, In the same way God, desiring even more, to show to the heirs of the promise, that would be anybody that believes in the God of Abraham and, and trust in, in him, the heirs of the unchangeableness of his purpose, God's purpose. He interposed it with an oath or a vow so that by two unchangeable things, 
one which is impossible for him to lie. So he doesn't need to have a, a vow or an oath. But he did. He did that. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. So if you can picture, you know, it it talks about this thing that goes behind the veil. It's this faith that goes behind the veil. And the anchor back there is a hope that's sure. That's the thing he really wanted these people to... It's not this hope, hope. We've talked about this before. It's an expectant hope that is sure of what they're hoping for. You know, Paul really leads by example in this whole thing um, when he says that he wants us to know the hope of his calling. This is what it's, he, he says in Philippians about his own walk. I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I, Randy, what are the next two words? What does he do? You you preached on this. A year or so ago. I press on. He presses on um, to walk in a manner. No, I'm sorry. Let me lost my praise. High calling. To the high calling. Go ahead and finish it for me. In 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 Christ Jesus. Okay. So you think about this, some, some translations may say reach for, but anyway, he's pressing on, he's reaching for. And, you know, I thought to myself, this is Paul, Paul who gets beaten and thrown out of town, finally comes to, goes right back. Now, he must be pretty sure of what he's pressing on for. I mean, it takes a lot of, if you're going to give that kind of energy and commitment, you're pretty sure of what you hope for. You're pretty sure of the calling that you've been called for. And Paul understood that that particular calling, a lot has to do with what he was called to do. But ultimately, he realized he was called to, to the Father. He was called. God calls us to himself. Um, so... That's the thing about the calling. We don't have to wonder, I know, what am I supposed to do? God is as much concerned about making you who you are as he is what you do. He uses the what we do to help us become who we are because it's the what we do when we're, you know, in the midst of those things that are easy and hard and people, that's, how he changes us to become. But his goal is that we become image bearers of who he is. Um, So Paul uh, continues and um, he talks about this, that we would be able to comprehend the length, the depth, and the breadth of, of this love. And then he says this, he says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, 
implore you, beg you, whatever word you want to say there, it's with, with, with fervor to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness and with patience. Now, I, I read this one little thing about um, Queen Victoria when I was going through all this stuff. That, so when she was a little girl, the person they had signed to teach her wanted to shield her from what her destiny was. Which she was going to become the Queen of England. And so he did that for the longest time. She, by the way, she became queen when she was 18 years old. And finally, Victoria realized she was going to be the queen of England. And she said, now that I know that, I will be good. Wouldn't you like for all your kids to say that? I will be good. I would like to say that about myself all the time. And and she was. She says, I will serve. And she served for 63 years. Of course, Queen Elizabeth beat her a little bit. But she was the second longest monarch that served the, the England. And the text says that she was always aware that she was on the throne wherever she went. And she tried to be a good example of that. And so... You think about the fact when you and I understand him who has called us, I will be good. But more than that, I want to walk in a manner that's worthy of the one that's called. We, that's, that's the example that we need to be. Not only for ourselves, but for his sake. Um, so it reminded me when I was, um, going through this of a song we used to sing um, it was like he has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light he has saved you from the darkness we rejoice in his power and might and so this is the th one of the things that God, uh, Paul is saying to this well educated church this is, this is God this is what I want for these people I really want them to know the hope of your calling because when you do somehow or another it takes us in a deeper place not a place of pride well I've been called but because he said walk in a manner with humility and, and, and patience with other people I'm going to move on um, second thing he, pray, he, he uh, prayed was that they would know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And this was really, this phrase right here was the seed thought for this whole message. And that seed thought came from um, Deanna Hirschberger. Remember when the Hirschbergers were here with us that Sunday? Uh, we all said goodbye. They left. They headed back to Richmond. And somewhere on the way back, I get a text from Deanne. She said, I didn't really want to step out and say this, but I felt like God said, this is my inheritance right here. And I'm like, and she said, I had no idea where it came from. I hadn't even thought about that. You know, the church was God's inheritance. She said, but I wanted to pass it on to you for you to consider that. 
So this was the this was what I found in the Bible was this particular phrase, and um, you know I I look at the story of the Bible and how much of a large part of it is about our redemption. I mean it really is, and um, it all tends to revolve around this is one of the things that God is after. Is his inheritance. I was thinking about this. Uh, how many of us would, we would manipulate or contrive to get our inheritance? We would fight for our inheritance. Would you fight with your siblings? For that's mine. That's what God did. They are mine. And it's just humbling when you think about that in light of the whole Old Testament because um, the shadows began back in the Old Testament of this um, with the tribes of Jacob uh, it says in um, Isaiah 43 this but now thus says the Lord your creator O Jacob and he who formed you O Israel do not fear for I have redeemed you I have called you by name, you are mine. And it's just a foreshadowing of, of, of God bringing the Jews and the Gentiles together as his church. Um, I also found this in one of Spurgeon's devotionals, because he, he responds to this, how are they his? And he goes on and says, by God's own sovereign choice. That's how they're his. He chose them and set his love upon them. This he did altogether apart from any goodness in them at the time or any goodness which he foresaw in them. He had mercy on whom he has mercy and ordained a chosen company into eternal life. Therefore, they are his by his unconstrained election. They are not only his by choice, but by purchase. He has bought and paid for them to the utmost farthing. It's different from our coins, but let's just say silver dollar. Hence, about his title, in other words, his right to them, there can be no dispute. Not only did he choose them, he also bought them. It is amazing that God would even need an inheritance because he owns everything. Spurgeon continuing here. And yet here is here Moses clearly states that the Lord's portion is his people. Why God this is this will be a sentence out of Brandon and Anastasia's wedding. Why God, who has all things, would emotionally connect himself to a people? Emotionally connect himself to a people is a mystery. It's a mystery. So there are a couple of scriptures that for the longest time in my own life, I'm like, Lord, 
I just don't get this about you. But, you know, it, it just comes into such clear view in the light of him desiring his inheritance. And one of them is one that we, we read a lot in, at Easter time. It's in Isaiah 53, 4. I'm just going to read a portion of it. Surely our griefs he himself bore. This is talking about Christ. And our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell on him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. But the Lord was pleased to crush him. Did it ever bother you in your young Christian days reading that? But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he would see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. The only pleasure was that this is the only way I can get my inheritance. This is the only way. There's no other way that I can claim those that I've chosen. I've gotten a nail by them. Another one in the Psalms was precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. We're more familiar with that one, but it's like, wow, they died. They're mine. All mine now. I mean, the lengths that the father would go to in claiming what it was really rightfully his in the first place. Um, so Paul prays this prayer that we would really grab hold of this. We're all about our inheritance in him. But God is also all about his inheritance in us. It shows that the believers are valuable to God. It's amazing when you read that passage. It's the riches, the riches of his glory. Um, let's skip that now. That God should set, this is from F.F. F. Bruce, this is another commentary, um, that God should, should set such high value on a community of sinners, rescued from perdition or hell, and still bearing too many traces of their former state, might well seem incredible. were it not made clear that he sees them in Christ. As from the beginning, he chose them. Why would God do this? He still, he continues and asks. Paul prays here that the readers may appreciate the value which God places on them. His plan to accomplish his eternal purpose through them as first fruits 
in order that they may live lives in keeping with this high calling and that they would accept in grateful humility the grace and glory that has been lavished on them. Um, this will be a twist on John F. Kennedy's theme. Brothers and sisters, think not what you can get from God, but rather think what you mean to God. Described as the riches of His glory. Let's move on. The other last thing he prays is, what is the surpassing greatness of God's power towards us who believe? Have you got that? Do you walk in a confidence that you know what that is? You know, there are lots of passages that I could bring about um, the power of, and the greatness of God, but I just picked this one, Psalm 66, as as our response to that. <clears throat> Shout joyfully to God all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. Come and see the works of God, who is awesome in his deeds towards the Son of Man. So Paul prays that his spiritual children would know this power that's described, a power that's described as surpassing greatness, which I don't even know how you... Greatness is great as it is. How can you surpass greatness? But I didn't spend a lot of time trying to figure it out. It just kind of... My mind just wouldn't go there. But he gives examples of this surpassing greatness. Um... And I wrote down three. three. Um, so he says, uh, according to. So which he says in accordance with in my Bible, the phrase is in accordance with. So he gives this gives these examples that are in accordance with his power to, towards us who believe uh, in accordance with means compared to the or in a manner com, conforming with these examples. And here's the ones he gives. He raised Christ from the dead. That's, that's some power. He seated him at the right hand of God over all rule and authority. In case you're worried, it's in this age and the next. <clears throat> what a blessing to know. He's still going to be there in the next age. Um, and the other power that I see he has the power to, do, to join Jesus Christ in his church. That's something to think about when you look at us now. Thank goodness we will be uh, without spot or blemish or wrinkle one day. And then maybe we might be worthy enough to be attached to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's interesting, I was thinking about this because 
You know, in um, Ephesians, later on in Ephesians, it's talking about these relationships between husband and wife and what the husband's supposed to do and what the wife should do, and what the children should do, and what the slaves should do. And he, and he says this. He says um, that a man and a woman will become one flesh in marriage. It's a seeming impossibility, really. A man and a woman are become one flesh. But, you know, he follows this up and gives it in context. The very next thing he says, the mystery is great, but I am speaking of Christ and the church. <laughs> Even to Paul, it was still a mystery, and it's still a mystery today. We'll one day see how that happens. And he can join a church, and it represents the body of Christ. Amazing. So that's it. Those are the things I would like you to take home and think about. Um, especially the ones that you feel like, wow, God, I, I won't. That's the one you're speaking to me or two you're speaking to me about today. And so with that, I'll close in prayer. If you would bow. Lord, we do ask the very same thing for ourselves that Paul prayed for the Ephesians that we would have a deeper, truer knowledge of Father God. That we would know in even a deeper way that hope, that sure hope of, of calling, not a calling of us individual, but a to, together us. You're calling your church to yourself. Um, and Lord, that we could marvel that you would so value all the things of the of the of the universe, all your creation. It's not the rocks and the trees, it's not the solar systems, but it's a people. A people you value. Help us to understand how much your inheritance means to you. And Lord, I pray too that we come to understand the surpassing greatness of your power towards us. Lord, when I think about that, um, it's almost anything you call us to do or be is absolutely possible because of your power. And so, Lord, we want to be good. We want to walk in a manner worthy of you who have called us. In Jesus' name, amen.